Ephesians 1 verses 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons to Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. This is the word of God. We're starting a new sermon series today in the book of Ephesians, and this will take us into May. We're going to be looking at one section at a time, but the series is titled Joined Together, Growing Together. Uh, And this theme of things being joined together is very important in the book as a whole. In verse 10 that was read, it talks about God's plans, God's purposes to unite all things in Jesus, things in heaven, things on earth. And so that, that theme of union plays its way throughout the book. Uh, and then talks about that being the basis of where God's life, where God's spirit is at work, so growth happens. Uh, and this book is always a book that's valued by churches because it's about the church, but now seems a particularly important or valuable time to talk about uh, how being joined together works its way out in our growth. Uh, This is a period of time where it feels like division and hostility is more in the air, um, where suspicion more than trust is what underlies things. And even if you simply take the experience of, of however the last few years after COVID has affected us, in whatever good may have come in, in new rhythms, new patterns, there's clearly a sense in which something's changed and many of us are feeling left less connected, less known, less understood, uh, or less able to deal with our challenges in a way that makes us feel like we're part of something. And so the theology of Ephesians that talks about how actually God's plan is to bring us closer and to, to connect us and to put life into us is precisely what we need to be growing in this period and also for us as a church to be growing together, not simply simultaneously at the same time, but also to be reconnecting in some of what's been lost just because of whatever the last few years have done and how that's changed our habits and our patterns. Um, so the, the letter is written to a particular church, 
Emmanuel is a particular church, but all churches are to benefit from this. It's written in verse one, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Uh, now, normally you don't want to base a lot of theology on one word and especially a transitional kind of word or a, a, a smaller word like the word in. Uh, but the phrase that comes up a lot in the verses that were read, the phrase in Christ, actually you can see from that phrase, the theology behind it is quite rich and deep. And so he's writing to human beings who are in this world, to the saints who are in Ephesus, but their faithfulness, their identity, their understanding, what they're devoted to, even though they live in Ephesus, is found in something bigger. It's, it's a faithfulness in Christ in the same way that we who are reading this letter are, are part of a church in New York City, or if you're a visitor, you're part of a church in some specific location. We are in New York City, but we are to be faithful in Christ. That's the, the bigger category. That's what unites heaven and earth. So, so as big and amazing and remarkable as New York is, there's something far more remarkable, something far deeper, far more profound. And we need to be faithful there for us to know what it looks like to uh, thrive and to live and to grow in the midst of a city for all that's wonderful about it, but all that's difficult about it. That bigger category of being in Christ. And there's, there's so many different ways that, that the Bible tries to convey this, even in the book of Ephesians, where, where the, the, the imagery of this new community being formed, it's kind of like a temple where Jesus is the cornerstone and we're being added. And, and the temple is being built not only in space throughout the, the world, but in time throughout the ages. And everyone is called to be part of this growing uh, but singular thing that's happening, or it's like a body where there's a head that's Christ, but every part is connected to the whole, and therefore we're to grow together. Or even in Ephesians, it's like a husband and a wife that are to unite themselves, and in their oneness, there's supposed to be growth, family, extension from that. It's not just in Paul, uh, in John's gospel, Jesus in one of the crucial last speeches to his disciples in John 14, he says to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. If anyone remain in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And that organic imagery of a vine where, where branches that are part of it are receiving the life from the vine and therefore the fruit that comes out at the end is because of that connection. And, and each branch connected to the vine in that analogy connected to Jesus is also therefore connected to one another because we're all part of this same branch. So there are a variety of images of ways of communicating that God's purpose is to bring us together to connect what's been broken apart so that his spiritual life can be going through, flowing through all things so that there's health, healing, renewal, and life. And so the, the theological term that's used for this principle is union with Christ. Uh, actually such an important principle that it, it's, it's an overarching principle, so big and so valuable that we uh, often don't note it. And we, we note some of the more particulars, the benefits, the kinds of things that may resonate with you about why Christianity is interesting. We're all a bit different. For some of you, the idea that I don't need to fear death because there's resurrection. For some of you, the, the fact that you feel like, I feel like I'm a guilty person, but God offers forgiveness. Uh, or, or whatever the particular things about Christianity that you feel like are valuable, the claim here is that all of it comes to us through Christ. That's verse three. Every blessing, every spiritual blessing is ours in Christ Jesus. 
So whatever it is you're looking for is found there, but what you need that you don't yet know that you're looking for is also found there. And that's where growth happens. We come in and we connect to what will give us life. And so today in, in beginning this series, and by the way, those of you who are looking at this passage and you're showing up at a Presbyterian church and you know that you're bound to get a lecture on election and predestination, I will defy all stereotypes and I will not give you that lecture. Today, we will be talking about union with Christ. But if you come back next week, we're going to look at the same passage and then you're going to get more about election and predestination than you have a natural interest in. So we are going through this passage two times just because there's so much in it. That is great restraint. I wanted to go through it six or seven, but then the, uh, the series would have been a two-year series. So we are going through this one passage twice. Today I'm wanting to show the big picture because it's not just the big picture of this passage, but it's the big picture of how the whole Bible comes together. Union with Christ is how the blessings of God flow into our lives and into the world. And so I want to talk about three things. One is how we know we need it, this union with Christ, how it comes to us with power, and third, how it shapes our lives. So I want to begin with how we know we need this union, this coming together, this joining with Christ. Uh, verses 3 to 14 are actually one long sentence in the original Greek with no punctuation. And so to make it readable in English or whatever translation you read it, it's broken up so, so you get the ideas separately, but it's this flowing, uh, 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 overflowing praise, this delight of remembering the goodness of God. And it's not a thorough list telling everything, but it's almost like a constant grasping of, look at God's kindness, look at what God did, remember what God has done for us. And, uh, and it's filled with the very things that, uh, that actually speak to the depths of our souls. God's purpose in verse 10 is to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and earth. That separation is part of the problem, the separation of heaven and earth. What what are they even talking about with heaven? Is it the place where God is? Is it the place above the sky? Uh, the, the very fact that we have to raise that question is one of the issues. And so with that analogy of a vine and, and branches, if branches are broken off of a vine, the vine is still alive and growing. Uh, the branches may have fruit at the time that you break them off, but the, but the branches are withering. They're not going to continue to bear fruit. The Bible presents a picture where there is some sort of separation that happens between God and humanity, and life is still with God, but with humanity here on earth, there's a withering, there's a, a, a dying away, there's not that fruitfulness. And it's that level of depth of, of what uh, the gospel is getting at that it speaks into our lives. And so the things that we want, the things that we long for, what we don't always uh, take time to examine is what, what is the deeper desire beneath what I want? All of us have desires. We have things that in this world, in New York City, promise that if you could do this, your life will you'll grow, you'll be fruitful. Um, success. Why do we want success? Well, it's just obvious. Isn't success inherently good? But why do you long for it so much that you make such sacrifices for it? We don't always answer that question, and we're not in tune with the deeper desires. Why is it that you think financial security would really bring peace to you? Why is, if you could just get married, do you feel like your life would come together? The various things we want that are inherently good, and we don't need to question why we want them, um, but what is the desire under the desire for some of these things? Uh, because the pattern is that we find that the things we look to typically don't satisfy those desires. 
And therefore, there are all sorts of warnings in the Bible. One is not to hope in good things as though they will give you life if it's, you know, your, your financial security is, is a good thing to have, but it doesn't guarantee long life or happiness. So you need to hold to it sufficiently loosely. Uh, but also, what are the things that you do in, in the compromises you make in order to get some of these things or the difficulties um, uh, of, of what, what you do because your longings are not satisfied? There are these cycles that all of us find ourselves in where, where we want things, um, we set our hopes on things, that they either disappoint or they're insufficient, and therefore we look to the things of the world, the things that we can see in order to satisfy us. And the Bible, when the Bible talks about sin, there may be different ways that you conceive of the concept of sin. Um, one of the, the, the reasons God warns us about sin is because sin inherently divides, it, it strips life, it separates out. And God in his wisdom is trying to spare us from that. So I'll take just as one example. There's lots of warnings in the Bible about envy. All of us will experience envy. It's, it's something uh, may, that all of us have to some degree, but some of you maybe more than others. Why is envy such a problem? Well, envy um, coming under the category of something we're warned about. It's, it's sinful. It's, it's the opposite of a heart that's meant to be gracious, generous. Uh, it's a self, um, self-directed desire that we have that separates, and, and it separates you from what is good. And so, so you see something good in the world. You see somebody who's good-looking. You hear of somebody's success. You have a friend who has something really lucky happen to them. Envy keeps you from enjoying the goodness of it because there's something about you that has a greater awareness that you do not have what they're having so you can't enjoy what they're having. Seeing somebody that's good looking and, and being glad to see something that delights your eyes, you are not glad for it when you resent them because in your competitive view, they are now more good looking. They have something that you don't have and you see them as a competitor. So first of all, it separates you from goodness. Envy keeps us from enjoying things that are good because we wind up getting pulled down, but then it separates in relationships, you have a friend who has something great happen, and you want to rejoice with them, but it reminds you less of goodness and possibility and more of your own struggle and your own failure and your own concern. And that makes its way into the relationship. Most of us know not to say in that moment, well, good for you, but what about me? And so we put on a happy face and we rejoice and we say that's wonderful, but we walk away feeling And so now there's something relationally there, and now it became complicated because now there's the should. I should rejoice in them. So not only am I feeling bad because this person has something that I don't have, but now I feel bad because it's another reminder I'm not good enough. If I was a real friend, I would be able to rejoice. So I was a fake friend that said I was rejoicing, but then I left. And now this is a reminder that all of my existence confirms I'm not good enough. There's goodness and and I'm not participating in it. So what do we do? In that weakness, that vulnerability, what are the things that will bring us relief? So we look to the things of the world. If I could just have that, if I could have a moment of relief, and there's the obvious addictive things of drugs and alcohol and food and pornography and all of the things that distract us. But we never think that something like money or success or getting our physique together or whatever it is, is something we're doing to try to get at some longing that that we know cannot be satisfied. It's not simply that you want to be in shape. 
Some of you want to be in shape, and it is that simple. But for those of you that will make sacrifices for that, there's something more. What is, what is that longing that you have that you hope that that will make a difference? Finally, you'll have a, a measure of security or you'll have a reason to be in the world. It's those underlying things that we're not aware of. And it's remarkable. It's those underlying things that this passage touches on as Paul can't help but remembering the various things that come to us in the gospel. And so if you look at the different things that he names, um, some of them are theological. It, re it would re require study to understand what does redemption mean or what do these various things mean. But one thing to note is that they're going deeper. Uh, it's going at something fundamental to our humanity. And so um, an example of, of how this dynamic works, um, mosquitoes. Mosquitoes come and they want to take something from us. They want to take our blood. This is part of the reproduction cycle of mosquitoes. We have a lot of blood and uh, the body is pretty amazing. You could, you could donate a pint of blood and that evening or, or within a period of time it comes back. One mosquito, why not have a hundred mosquitoes in your room? What's the big deal? We've got so much to give of them. So look, so, so there could be the dangers of, of Zika and uh, malaria and West Nile. And so, so it's not as simple as, it's, it's not what you're taking from me, it's what you might be leaving. But in our context, most of us are not concerned about the mosquito because it's gonna bring something deadly. We're concerned because it's gonna bring something annoying. In the process of your taking just a little blood, I don't need that blood but you're leaving something that releases a histamine in me that now I have swelling, I have itching. And in the grand scheme of what's wrong in the world, my being a little bit itchy in the evening shouldn't be a problem. But when tomorrow I have something important to do, my not sleeping, all of a sudden that itch is uh, really there and all the advice, don't scratch it, that's only gonna make it worse. That's weird, how would that make it worse? Uh, while I'm scratching it, it makes it feel better um, and yet, the science behind it says scratching it will make it worse. Um, that cycle looks, you know, we need to be prepared for the very deep, difficult, overwhelming things in life. They're happening all the time. But every interaction we have, somebody's taking a little something from us, not a big deal, but they leave something that leaves this response in us where, where there's something that then in us desires relief. In the Bible, the equivalent of don't scratches don't be envious, don't lash out in anger, don't do any of these things, but, but wouldn't it feel good if I just did that? <laughs> How do I just sit here and, and exist in a state of the suffering and discomfort from, uh, from the hostile words, from my not being appreciated, from my giving myself sacrificially and they don't thank me? You're left with this discomfort and where do we get satisfaction? Uh, the list of things that, that Paul writes to the Ephesians to say, look at what God gives us goes much more deep and below this. Um, every spiritual blessing in verse three, everything we need somehow comes to us, not all at once. So if you find yourself feeling like I'm missing out on a lot of the spiritual blessings, they all come to us from the same source through Christ. And that's why we need to grow. So this works its way into our lives. And so, for instance, do you want to be special? Do you want to know that your life matters, that you're different from the projector? The projector is a thing in the room. Am I just a thing in the room? I'm just going to exist on, on earth until I break down and then I'm done. Do I matter? Well, in verse 4, he writes to those who are holy, those who God has set apart. God has given a purpose, uh, but I'm not good enough for that purpose. But, but Christ has made you not simply holy, but also blameless. 
So what is it you want? Do you want to know that your life matters, that you belong? Christ has made it so that now you're holy and blameless. But do you really belong? Do you go places feeling like, I don't fit in, I don't have what it takes, I'm not part of this family? Well, verse 5, because of Christ, we have been adopted. We now have a belonging among God's people because God has made us family. Um, if you wander off, do you hope that somebody would care enough to bring you back? Well, we have in verse 7, redemption. Jesus comes and he, he brings us back. Um, do you walk around thinking of all the things that I did? I don't know that I could ever fix them. You walk around with a guilty conscience. Uh, verse 7, there's forgiveness that comes to us through Christ so that no longer is the barrier. Or are you confused? There's too much to take in. I don't understand this world and how I'm supposed to live. Well, verse 9 talks about these mysteries that God in his wisdom is making known. You can't figure it out, but he will tell it to you if you will listen. Are you worried about your future? If things are going to run out. I don't know if the future will be better than today or if I'm at my peak and it's downhill from here. Verse 11, there's an inheritance. God will give you something in the future, so your future will be better than your present. And so do you find yourself thinking, but this is too much. I'm, I, I'm not the kind of person that can do this. I can't make it happen. I'm not good enough. I, I need help. Will anyone help me? Verse 13 uses the language of salvation. God comes to those who are helpless, those who are undeserving, those who have nothing. All of these things, this is not a comprehensive list. This is just, it seems what Paul, it was kind of like when, uh, when Jack Kerouac typed on the road, you know, whatever it was, 14 hours straight without stopping, uh, we get a much smaller piece here of this one sentence that Paul begins, it sounds like he just wanted to bless God, bless God, and then he just thought about redemption and forgiveness and uh, adoption and all of these things, the list would go on, but Paul is saying is every thing that your soul needs, every spiritual reality, all of the goodness of that somehow comes to us through Christ. And so C.S. Lewis, uh, one of the very famous quotes that are often uh, uh, stated in Presbyterian gatherings, uh, C.S. Lewis says, if we find ourselves with the desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Now, another world is not an escape from this one. Uh, Paul doesn't say to those who are in Ephesus now, but I'm going to take you out of there, so just hang on tight. I will put you in Christ. He's saying that the, the separation from heaven and earth has now been united. There's a heavenly reality that you haven't had access to, and now you, wherever you are, have access to something that will satisfy the longings that this world is not satisfying. You know it's not satisfying, and yet what are our options? Just to keep going, to hope that what seems to be working for somebody else will work for me. But you know, behind the conspiracy, the honesty is we're all a bit dissatisfied. We're all a little bit overwhelmed. We're all stressed, and, and wealth isn't going to do it. Success isn't going to do it. Winning the next thing is not going to really satisfy these deep longings. So how we know we need it is because the honest thing is uh, all of us have deep longings that are good, and yet there's something about us that's experiencing the opposite, the anxiety, the frustration, the fear. Um, what we need is offered to us in Christ. So that's the first thing. That's how we know we need it is simply being in tune with not what do you want, but why do you want it? There's something deep that the thing that you're looking to likely can't deliver. But the claim is, but Jesus will deliver. He has delivered. And so come closer, step in deeper. Uh, so now the second thing I want to talk about is how it comes to us with power. How does this life-giving union 
come into our lives so that it actually makes a difference, so that you actually do grow? And the answer is brief and simple. So brief and simple, it seems unhelpful. The answer is in Christ. That's how it comes to us. It comes to us in Christ. And it's that simple that we know where to look, how to take hold, but, but it really takes the, the life of discipleship to work out into our lives, how this actually starts to satisfy our longings, how it actually starts to energize and heal and change us. And so the interesting thing about the Christian message is it is itself good news. And so that's verse 13, where it talks about the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. The word gospel means good news. It's a true word. This is God who does not lie, has a message for us. But the message is powerful because it's a message that talks about how God will bring salvation. God will give you all that you need that you otherwise cannot access or grasp. There's something about the message that's powerful, and it's not simply the content, the fact that it's truthful, although that is very necessary, very, very effective. But it's that the truth comes not simply in, in, a, in a message announced from heaven, but, but in the word become flesh. Jesus is the message of scripture. All things unite in him. His coming into the world is not simply to teach and to reveal, but to accomplish and it's in him that all things come together. So there, there's a phrase here in verse 10, God's plan, God's purposes. And you could see in Ephesians 1, the cosmic nature, it, it's eternal. It's eternity past and eternity future. It's time and it's space. It's here. It's in Ephesus. It's, in, it's across the globe. It's the earthly. It's the heavenly. The plan is comprehensive. It's a plan, he refers to in verse 10, as for the fullness of time. The moment of Jesus coming is a moment of fullness. It's a climactic moment. It's the, it's the climactic moment of the scripture. So if you don't understand that moment and how everything connects to it, you will not understand the Bible as a whole. But the claim is it's the climactic moment of history that if we understand what happened there, then you will see how you fit into God's cosmic plan. There's a fullness to it. And so you, you read the very beginning of the New Testament and the language of fulfillment is there. This happened to fulfill what was written, that there's a, a fulfilling that's happening of everything that God has said is being realized. But more than that, there's a fullness. So like in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus says, you've heard it said, but I say to you, he's bringing out a greater fullness. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. You know not to do that. But what about on a deeper level? How's your heart? There's a fullness of my standard that I'm bringing out the reality of now I'm going to embody. And so Jesus comes to bring the fullness of what's lacking. Why do we feel empty? Why do we feel never satisfied? There's an emptiness, but there's a fullness of time. And, and it's not simply the message of that Jesus did it, but it's the story of how he did it that then brings the power of it into our lives because it's a message of God's giving to us. And if your view is God has all this stuff, just like each of us is a little mosquito on the body of God, that if, if I just take a tiny bit of blood, what's the big deal? So God's a little bit itchy by it. Uh, the picture is that it's not simply that God has all of these things to give, but his giving is costly. It's sacrificial. God giving us life is not as simple as there's God, there's us. Why is God not giving us more? But what's described as the fullness of time is a story that begins not with what we have done, but with what God has done. And we use the language of incarnation. Jesus Christ, the claim has existed before any of us. God's plan from eternity was that he would take on our flesh. He joined himself to humanity in this mind-blowing way that the eternal only begotten son of God took on flesh. 
Philippians 2 describes that with a very in, in, important word. On the one hand, Ephesians says there was a fullness of time, a fullness of spirituality, a fullness of God. But Philippians says there was an emptying of Jesus Christ. That's what his incarnation, when he took on our flesh, he left certain things veiled. And he comes into the world in order to give himself to us. What are the things, the benefits we get? They come to us by the sacrificial giving of Jesus. Do you want to be holy, special, set apart? Jesus comes into the world and he looked ordinary. People saw him and they just had to grapple with what he was doing in his content because he looked like a regular person. He didn't have an entourage. He wasn't six foot seven. He um, didn't have this huge crowd and following. He looked ordinary rather than holy. Uh, he is blameless. If you read the accounts of him, he never did anything with even a hint of wrong. And yet we blamed him, didn't we? We said, Jesus, this is not enough. We don't understand. Jesus, this is too much. You need to go. Um, the language of Jesus uniquely in history, the only begotten son of God. There's a, there's a connection between the father and the son that is utterly unique. And yet he comes to make us children of God by being cut off from the father. So we receive adoption because the only begotten uh, came and gave his life. Those who desire redemption, there's a cost to redemption, kind of like a, with a bottle. The store says, we'll give you five cents to get it back. Jesus comes to redeem a people, to gather us to himself. He gives himself in order to gain us. Verse seven also talks about forgiveness. We've sinned and we need forgiveness. Jesus goes to the cross as though he was a criminal, a sinner. Uh, why is that? Because he is granting forgiveness that is costly. There's an inheritance that is promised for us in the future. We're told that Jesus had everything but gave it all up. The son of man has no place to rest his head. He came and he wandered as somebody who was vulnerable and had nothing because his purpose was to give us all things. There is salvation that comes to us. And there he is on the cross. And one of the thieves says, if you really are the son of God, save yourself and save us. God's plan from eternity was to save us, but not for Jesus to save himself. He gives us salvation because he takes our death. Uh, the mystery of God's will that is revealed, Jesus came and he said, I actually know in, this, in my humanity can't tell you the time and the season in the future because I am now needing to depend on the Father. He needed to listen. He needed to trust. And in verse 7, it talks about the redemption that comes through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. And, and the imagery of blood, it's kind of a weird one for modern people to think about, but you go through the scripture and from the very beginning, that is where life is, which is why violence is so problem. You're not supposed to take blood out of somebody's body so that they cannot live. And so there's a reverence for life, a sacredness. Jesus comes, his, the shedding of his blood, the taking on of a body in order that he would lay it down for us. Uh, the mystery of how that's the very means that we have forgiveness, that his life is for our life. Our sin is taken uh, and his righteousness is given. We were not part of the family, but he cries out that he's forsaken so that we can be brought in. That message becomes the necessary foundation. How is it that all things come to us in Christ? And understanding not simply the story that, that he's a character in some book that we're not connected to, but he comes into this world that we are inhabitants of, but feel disconnected from in some way. And he has come to unite all things. He's come to call each of us. 
And we're told that he comes and he gives us blessing, but the, but the giving is not cheap. It's costly. He gave everything of himself. He took on everything that we're trying to get rid of, and he gave us everything that we're hoping to attain. It's the power of that, not simply that there's a bunch of things out there that are offered to you, but that the one who is offering it to you gives it to you in such a way that he invites you closer. He, he came to you and you were not going to him. He uh, began all things. Uh, it's that union that actually is what starts to bring healing. So we know we need it. That's the first thing because we have these longings. This world doesn't satisfy us. How it comes to us with power is through Jesus Christ who does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And, and the more we realize the costliness of the generosity, the more that, that the particular things that we receive uh, increase in value in our eyes. Our adoption is precious. Our forgiveness is something not to take for granted. The inheritance that is ours, it's not just simply a thing out there, but it's, it's, it's given to us in love. That's what changes us. So the third and last thing I wanna talk about is how it shapes our lives. How does union with Christ, how does joining with Christ shape our lives? Because every spiritual blessing comes to us in Christ. And as we are in him and his life flows into us, God works things out. So what we notice is there's a mutuality um, in verse three. And it, it strikes me, and I don't know what Paul was thinking, but it strikes me as his intention was, I am gonna give to God. I'm gonna, I'm gonna announce blessing on God. So that's how it begins. Blessed be the God and Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he perhaps wanted to stay in that place of remembering God's goodness, speaking of God's grace, but he couldn't help himself because to, to know of God's grace is to remember what God has done for us. So he has this very short, uh, excited blessing for God, but then an even more excited remembering of God's blessing for us. And, and that's what a, a restored relationship looks like. Not what can I take from you and how could we exchange it, but, but look at what you've given to me and, and it's so much that what can I give to you? And, and that restored relationship of shows, shows that life is here. Paul is not overwhelmed with what he's lacking, but he cannot fathom that God will give him even more than he has now. He's in a very different, different place in that moment spiritually. And so uh, verses seven and eight, he speaks of the riches of God's grace, which God lavished upon us. And it's that moment of awareness uh, that God has given so much, but there's so much more that we will yet receive that stirs his heart. The problem though, is even those of us who know in our minds that this is true, uh, we live in a world that keeps taking from us. And so what we feel is not the fullness. What we feel is the emptiness. We feel what's missing. We feel like what's been taken. And therefore, it's hard for us just to sit down and bless God and remember every blessing that's ours because we're not, experience, we're not experiencing the reality of all these things simultaneously. And therefore, discipleship requires a number of things. I'm gonna, I'm gonna highlight three things you can do. One is the study of theology and the Bible. We can do it a little bit too academically. And by we, you know, the Presbyterian church is gonna be uh, one of the, the key guilty people of, of loving information just because we like to know things. Uh, but, but even uh, for any who, who feels like uh, study is not a worthy endeavor, the reason we devote so much time to it is because there's such depth of riches in what we understand. And so verse 13 describes a word of truth 
We want to really understand that word. And so verse 13 says, you've heard the word of truth and you believed it. You don't need a lot of information to hear and to believe, to receive God's grace. You need to hear that things are in Christ, somehow that it comes to you, and that's all there is. But then the depth of how does that change my life, that's where studying the Bible, that's where uh, doing the work of theology, not, not simply to fill our minds, but to fill our lives, is valuable. And it takes time. If you found yourself in a semester of organic chemistry week by week thinking, I thought I knew it, and now I don't. And yet the hope is by the end of the year, I will know enough. If, if, if studying organic chemistry for one year is tough, why would we think that the mysteries of the universe would be downloaded to us in 10 seconds? Uh, would, would growth in life not take a bit of going into moments of, this is bigger than I can understand? Uh, but we have to stay with it. And that's what's, what, what's here is we're told there are these mysteries that if you, if you hold to these truths and keep, keep, stay with God, uh, you will unite and deepen. So one thing is to take the time to do that. Another thing is to apply those things to your life, um, which means that the particular things that the Bible teaches, our justification, our sanctification, glorification, inheritance, these various terms that you will encounter if you start to read theology, they're not just concepts out there. But there are things that you long for. And then the question is, um, you know, on, on the deep level and on the quick level, how does this become more part of your life? So on the deep level, what I mean is, you may find that the longing underneath longing is something specific. Actually, the reason that you want success or the reason that you want money or you want any of these things is you just want to know that you belong. And so taking the time to pray, if that's your longing, to sit down and say, Lord, I belong because you've adopted me into the family. And here's my understanding is I didn't deserve it. I didn't, I didn't do anything, but, but there's something here that you've done that my, my, my desire to, to belong and my sense that I don't, I'm going to sit and I'm going to work out how that works in prayer, in fellowship with God. It's not quick. It's not easy, but that could be a place of deeper healing. On the quicker, more superficial thing, you just need to prepare that when you go back into New York City this week, there's going to be all these little things that poke and provoke at you. So something is going to tell you you don't belong. You walk into a place and then you realize everyone's good looking. Or you go into a place and you feel like everyone has more seniority than me. And in that moment, what pokes at your sense of not belonging, you need to just recognize, oh yeah, that's the thing that I feel like, you know, causes my fear, all of these things. I'm just going to remember now theologically all things are united in Christ. I belong to him. Whether or not I belong in this room, I'm not a person without belonging. So you can stay in the room. That's not a deep fix. It's just a momentary fix. You need the kind of theology that when you make a mistake and you think, I just need to get out of here to say there is forgiveness. So don't leave, stay. And that's where on the deeper level, this healing, but on the, on the day-to-day level, having a theology that says you are no longer on your own needing to figure all things out, but you are in Christ. And if you're in Christ, the blessings of God will come into your life. And so apply these things to your life. Uh, and, and a final thing that you can do is, is understand in the teachings of Scripture, when we think of sin, we think of God out there, we think of me and my life. And, and you don't realize that the, the motivation for not sinning is not fear of punishment. But it's a desire to have more of the blessing of God. And so if I could go deeper with God, if those things will pull me away from God, if those things will disorient me and confuse me, then why would I give myself to it? It's not simply that I'm afraid that if I do that, God will be angry. 
but I'll recognize the opportunity cost that if I'm spending my time doing there and they need to spend the rest of my time apologizing to God, wouldn't it be easier just to go right to God and receive his blessing? And God gives us the means because we don't do that. He gives us the means of confession, of forgiveness, the goodness. All of these things need to be worked out. And, and, and it's not easy, it's not simultaneous, but God is doing a work in the details of your lives. And so uh, being united with Christ is the context for where you work these things out. A couple of weeks ago, I was uh, in my living room and my dryer was making a noise. And one of the reasons I talked about envy earlier in the, uh, in the sermon is because I knew when I got here that if you mentioned that you had a dryer, some of you are thinking, wait a second, was this in your home? And he hasn't said it yet, but he's whole, that arrogant bum probably has a washing machine as well. And it's true, I do have a washer and dryer. It doesn't make me better than you, but I hope that you could leave here not feeling that your life is lacking because you have to go to a laundromat. But with ownership becomes responsibility. I now have a noisy dryer, so I can't go down the block to the next laundromat. I open the dryer and in with the pants and the socks was this big cloth that did not look like anything anybody in my family wears. So I thought this must be some part and I'm trying to think of how to stick it back in and, and, uh, and put it back on. And so I do a little bit of research and realize that is indeed a part of the, the dryer that I am assured by, by people who claim to be experts writing on random blogs that I would have the capability to replace this part by myself. So I ordered the part. It's a very simple thing. You just need to take this thing and put it in place. Um, so it's, it was part of the drum on the dryer. To be able to put the thing in place, you needed to take everything around the drum, which is the entire machine, apart and get it out of the way so you could put this thing in place. So, so the, the, the sh summary is, it was a very easy fix. I just put this thing, I pressed it down, and then it was, it was where I, what feels like 50 or 100 screws. I had to unplug several circuit boards. I had to take off like the rubber band that spins. The th so I finally get access to it and I put it on. And then, you know, in YouTube, there's lots of videos for certain machines. There was no video for my machine. So I'm having to look at, you know, and you know, okay, this is how the Germans do it, but these, the Korean machine is this way, and so how am I going to do this here? I got it back together, about six or eight extra screws. So uh, if, we're, if you're ever over my home and we're doing laundry, sit far from the, from the dryer. Uh, it was a very simple fix, but that simple fix took so much extra work. Um, it sounds so easy from God's perspective. Do you need forgiveness? Forgiveness comes into your life. Do you need to know that you belong? Do you need to know that you have a future? All of these things are there. And it really is simple. Just trust him. The simplicity of trusting him sometimes requires taking portions of your life apart so that he could come into the area to say, do you know that you're really okay? I'm telling you that it's true. It's that easy. For you to know that you're okay, I need to get in there and we're gonna to need to get this out of the way and this is gonna to need to be put on hold. And therefore the Christian life sometimes feels like God has a plan to make our lives worse. And what, what the gospel says is it's simple. God has a plan to make your life better. The world, the world is complex. And so the process of God growing you, healing you, piecing your life together, it's not gonna feel wonderful all the time. It's gonna require patience. It's gonna require trust. It's gonna require discipleship. But just wait, he's doing a work. And the one who has begun it, he will be faithful. He will do that work. 
So, friends in New York City or elsewhere, um, don't be faithful to the city. Be faithful to Christ. Because if you're faithful to the city, you're going to lose out on Christ. What we're told is if we're faithful to Christ, we will then find that we are actually faithful in the city. Because rather than going into the city as a bunch of empty people trying to grab as much as we can to fill our lives, we go back into the world to say there's a fullness of what God has given us, the riches of his grace. And I could go into a world where people are going to take more from me than they're going to give back. But if I'm in Christ, if every blessing is flowing into me, when they peel the fruit off, <laughs> his life is still in me. I need to wait till the next season. The fruit will come. The church can function very differently in a city like New York. And that's part of our calling. Our calling is to be in New York City, but faithful in Christ Jesus. Stay focused on how every blessing comes to you through faithfulness in Christ, and you will find that you are finally oriented to be faithful in whatever part of the world God has you. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we are people who are greedy for blessing. We are hungry for it. We desire it. And uh, Lord, we come to you today with our emptiness, with our failings, with our guilt, with our unbelief, the things that you tell us over and over that we just don't grasp. It doesn't make sense. Lord, there is power in this truth, and we pray that you would plant it deep in our hearts so that we would experience growth. We pray that this gospel would reshape us. And so help us to see all that you've done on our behalf and help us to respond with blessing as your blessings pour into our lives. And so, Lord, help us this week to... Um, uh, to, to know how we are close to you and how every good thing is given graciously uh, because that is your nature. Uh, revive our souls, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.